Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. I run an animal sanctuary and dog rescue just outside of San Juan. There are massive populations of stray cats and dogs on the island, and I do my best to bring them in and help them. We have connections with vets and clinics, and we see a ton of issues, including mange and fleas, as well as malnourished and abandoned animals. We set them up with adopters on the island. Although most adopters come from the mainland, and these animals travel via airplane to meet their rescuers. This started last fall, and has been happening about three times every month since. I'd like to think it was just a coincidence, but it's getting too common for that. The first time it happened, I was shocked, but now it's been over 30 instances, and it has only gotten worse. The local police have been no help. Every time I post images on Facebook, they get deleted. I don't know who else to turn to, so I'm hoping someone would have an idea. What it is, is that we've been getting calls about animals in the area acting strangely. They are usually kind of loopy and disoriented. They walk around and teeter as they walk. Usually if they try to jump up or walk upstairs, they lose their balance and sometimes trip over themselves. This is both cats and dogs. It's happening all over the island from downtown San Juan to the outskirts and more rural areas. Our team will bring the animals in, and after about a week, they start to act normally again. It's a slow process. It's like they're inebriated when they first come in, and it lasts maybe three days. And then one morning, they'll wake up and be very skittish. They'll start moving quicker and sometimes will snap at us, but they are mostly just nervous. Then, after a few days of being hyper-nervous, there will be a full day of aggression. The dogs will be barking through the bars of the cages and foaming at the mouth. The cats will stick their paws out of the bars and swat at the crew passing by. We ended up with a ton of bite marks and scratches from the first few animals we brought in. This was before we noticed the pattern of how it plays out. Now we've learned to quarantine each animal that comes in with this disorderly behavior and will not let them interact until after the final day of aggression. After that, the animal may just be the sweetest or the most typical stray. And then we start to post them on adoption websites. None of the adopters have complained about behavioral problems. In fact, they all seem to love their new dogs and cats. They even send me photos and videos of them snuggling with the whole family, even kids. They just act so odd for this first week, which is part of what we don't understand. One person who called in about one of the strays said they saw the animal being thrown from the back of a black van, without any distinguishing marks. Really, it's despicable what people do to vulnerable animals, but unfortunately, it's not unheard of. On the next call that came in, I asked the person if they'd seen a black van go by, and they said that in fact there was. One was speeding by just a bit earlier, and its speed had caught their attention. I was just shocked because I thought maybe the animals were just eating something bad, but now I believe they are being tested on or something else. The reason I'm writing to you and not a veterinary clinic or animal control is because I believe there is something strange going on, and there's probably some type of organization that is making these animals act this way. 
After we started getting so many of these calls and bringing in the strays that acted loopy, we began plotting down their locations on a map. Basically, the map shows a one-mile radius around the business district. I don't want to disclose the particular area because I don't want anyone to get hurt, but I went and checked out the area myself. What I found was a bunch of warehouses and factories and shipping container lots that had been abandoned. So I was surprised when I saw a very new and very clean black van driving around. I hightailed it out of there because I didn't want to be seen looking around and get myself into trouble. But I called the local police to discuss it. They told me that they can't do anything about it unless I actually witness something happening and get concrete evidence or a plate number. Which is absurd because the van or vans that we've been seeing are unmarked. At least, I've never seen a plate. I contacted a friend at Animal Control to see if they've been noticing this behavior, and they said that they have. Another shelter also noticed a similar trend. There are a few Facebook groups that I'm in, and the shelters that are further from the capital say they have not been experiencing this. So I know something odd is going on, and I hope that somebody out there might be able to shed some light on it. Please let me know if my story corresponds to anything you've heard in the past. I'm a big fan of the supernatural podcasts and ghost stories. I've always been. My wife is really into the murder podcasts, so we are a morbid household. I like the idea that there are things in this world that we can't explain. I think humans need to be humbled sometimes because we like to pretend that we know everything, which is why it's so weird that for years I forgot about a string of odd encounters I had as a child. It's funny the way our brains are wired. I hadn't thought about any of these encounters until I had a conversation with my brother recently. They weren't terrifying memories or anything like that, so I don't know why my brain pushed them to the back of my mind. Maybe I used to talk about my experiences more, but people always gave me funny looks, so I stopped. The first time I saw the little girl, I was somewhere between 7 and 9 years old. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but everything else about the occurrence is crystal clear. I was sleeping in my room when I woke up to a hand shaking my shoulder. A little girl around my age with light brown hair was standing next to my bed telling me to wake up. She was wearing a strange-looking sleeping gown. It was red with lace and puffy parts sewn in. She ran out of the room laughing. I was groggy from sleeping, and I assumed she was my older sister being a brat and waking me up early on the weekend. I stomped out of the room after her, but the hallway was empty. I went downstairs into the kitchen. My mom and sister were both there at the counter, cooking pancakes on the griddle. Mom, Katie woke me up, I said. Katie's my sister. They both just looked at me in confusion. I then realized my sister was wearing a white t-shirt and not a nightgown. When did you change? Neither of them knew what was going on. And that made me even more irritated. My mom had to calm me down and I explained what happened with the little girl in the red nightgown who woke me up. She told me it was just a dream. At the time, I thought she was right. A few months later, I saw her again. I think it was late summer or early fall, around Labor Day, because me and my family were headed to my uncle's house for a family cookout. We were all in the car ready to go, but my mom forgot to grab her purse. I was in the seat closest to the door, so she made me get out of the car to go get it. Of course, I made a big fuss about it because it was a pain in the butt as a child. 
Her purse was upstairs in my parents' bedroom, so I went into the house to go grab it. I specifically remember running up the stairs on all fours like an animal, because I was a kid, and kids are weird like that. As I rounded the corner to my parents' room, I heard someone humming. It wasn't a tune that I knew. It just sounded like mindless humming of a playing child. I was a little scared, but I poked my head around the doorframe to peek inside the room. The little girl was sitting on the floor with her back to me, rolling a small wooden ball back and forth between her hands. There was no mistaking her from my sister this time. I stood as still as possible. I was afraid she would notice me. I saw my mom's purse on the dresser behind the little girl. I thought about making a dash for it, but she snapped her head in my direction and started to giggle. A giggling little girl in a nightgown should not be scary, but she didn't belong there. So I ran back to the car. I told my mom I couldn't find her purse. She scoffed and went to get it herself. I got an earful when she came back and told me that it was right where she said it was. I think she could tell I was shaken up by something. So she stopped lecturing me when she saw that my mind was a million miles away. I haven't thought about either of those strange occurrences or hauntings, if you want to call them that, for years. But two months ago, I was talking to my brother over a few drinks and he told me something that brought those memories crashing back. When he was younger, he would refuse to go upstairs by himself. We used to tease him about it, and chalked it up to him being a scared little kid. We were rehashing old stories about him refusing to go upstairs as a child, when he told me that he didn't like going upstairs back then, because he would always hear a little girl giggling, and sounds of small feet scampering around. He said his toys were always rearranged when he left them out in his room like someone else had come in and played with them. Hearing this made my spine crawl. I felt some conflicting emotions. On one hand, I was a little upset to be reminded of the creepy occurrences from my childhood. But it also made me feel validated because what I saw was not just a figment of my own imagination. Normally, I would have kept this story to myself and a few close friends. But after talking to my brother and comparing our experiences, he convinced me to reach out to you. Maybe we are both just a little bit crazy. Or maybe there are some things that are out there that we just don't understand. I don't know why there would be any kind of spirit in my parents' house. It was built by them, so no one else has ever lived in it. I know it all used to be farmland before it became a suburban development. My only guess is that she is somehow tied to the land. To be honest, I'd rather not dig any deeper into it. I was hiking a remote trail in the Rockies with my three German shepherds a few years ago. I was carrying a relatively heavy pack, filled with water and other supplies, for Elvis, Luca, and Teddy, so I wasn't moving quickly enough to suit them. I knew I was probably the only human around for miles, so I let my dogs off their leashes so they could explore. All three dogs were well-trained, and always come back immediately when I call for them, so I didn't really think there was any harm in it. A few miles in, I whistled for the dogs so we could take a water break. All three dogs came from different directions, panting happily and glad to get a snack. It was a gorgeous day, and the rock I was sitting on was warm from the sun. My dogs all curled up in the grass nearby, and even though I didn't mean to, I dozed off for a little while. I couldn't have been asleep for more than 20 minutes, but when I woke up, it was absolute chaos. All three dogs were barking hysterically, 
with lots of growls and yelps. I couldn't see them, but it sounded like they were close by. I scrambled off the trail towards the sound, and I could hear a new noise. It was a deep, low-pitched moan. I immediately thought that the dogs had cornered a bear. I ran back to my pack and grabbed the leashes and the bear spray that was inside my pocket, then crashed back through the trees yelling the dogs' names. I was getting closer to them. I kept pushing through the branches and foliage, desperate to find them. Just after walking through a cloud of what smelled like the worst B.O. ever, I finally saw the three dogs, and then I saw what they were barking at. There were two of them backed up against a giant boulder at the top of a short rise in the forest floor. I'm nearly six feet tall, but I could tell that they were much taller than that. They looked human, except for the fact that their naked bodies were covered head to toe in this thick black coarse hair. They also looked terrified. I was scared out of my wits, but I almost felt bad for them. They were making these calm down motions towards the dogs with their hands and making low sounds that seemed soothing. Luca, my largest German shepherd, was nearly hysterical. His muzzle was flecked with foam, and he was dancing around trying to decide if he should go in closer. Alvis stopped barking and started sniffing the ground, still a good distance away from the cornered creatures, but definitely getting curious. Teddy dropped back to my side the second he saw me, whining softly and trying to shove his muzzle into the hand that was clutching the bear spray. I didn't feel threatened, nor did I think the creatures menace any harm. I crouched down and set the bear spray on the ground and started mirroring their calm-down motions with my hands as I slowly stepped closer. I quickly approached the other two dogs, clipping their leashes onto their harness and pulling them away. I spoke softly and calmly, hoping that they would feed off my energy and realized that we weren't in any danger. As I tried to quiet Luca... I kept glancing at the creatures to make sure they were in the same spot. They hadn't moved. Luca finally stopped barking but kept making these low growls. I didn't want to turn my back on the creatures so I walked backwards, guiding the two dogs back to where Teddy was standing. I attached his leash to his harness. Once all three dogs were under control, I finally asked myself, now what? The creatures seemed to be having a conversation. They weren't using words exactly, but their vocalizations had a rhythm, and they were gesturing at me, waving their arms around. They didn't seem upset. They seemed curious, just like me. Now things were calming down. I was able to understand the magnitude of the situation. I was face to face with a Sasquatch. Two of them. I had an incredible opportunity. I decided to try to engage with them, hoping that the dogs would cooperate. I found a tree that seemed sturdy enough and quickly unhooked each dog and looped the leashes around the trunk. They would be secure, but also unable to help me if anything went wrong. I decided to stay close. I picked the bear spray back up. Then I tried to make eye contact with the creatures. I locked eyes with the smaller one, and I smiled to show that I was friendly. It smiled back, then the taller one followed suit. Feeling brave, I motioned with a come-closer wave. They moaned to each other, then they came directly towards me. The smaller one came quickly and stretched out its hand towards the dogs. Even Elvis cooperated and let the creature stroke his ears. All of them were sniffing excitedly. The taller one approached me, also with its hand outstretched. Before I realized what was happening, it was trying to stroke my ears, then ran its hand over my short hair. 
They smelled terrible, but they were incredibly gentle. Suddenly, both creatures seemed to respond to some sound that I couldn't hear. They picked their heads up, and after a few seconds, I heard the sounds of a helicopter nearby. After a final pat of my dogs and me, both creatures hurried off into the thick trees. I stood for a few minutes, overcome by what I had just experienced. Then I untied my dogs and went to collect my pack, and headed back towards the trailhead. I looked over my shoulder the entire time, but I never saw them again. I never believed in aliens until two of them were standing in my bedroom. I woke up in the middle of the night. I reached for my water bottle and sat up to take a sip. There were two humanoid figures standing at the end of my bed. I'm not sure why, but I wasn't scared. I was immediately filled with an incredible calm that spread throughout my entire body. I knew that I should be scared, but my fight-or-flight system couldn't combat the peace that I felt. I looked at my sleeping wife to see if she sensed anything happening, but she just kept snoring softly. The aliens didn't have green skin. It was shiny and looked like fish scales. They weren't wearing clothes. Their heads looked exactly like the images you see on posters and bumper stickers, with gigantic black eyes and tiny holes where their noses should be. Their fingers were thin and very long. They made little chirpy sounds that sounded like conversation in a language that I didn't recognize. I watched very interested as they both walked into the bathroom. My wife doesn't like the dark, so we leave a small nightlight on in there in case she ever needed to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. In the weak light, I watched them examine the stuff on the counter, like toothbrushes and lotions. They didn't touch anything, but I heard their chirps and they sounded excited. They opened a few of the drawers and I saw one of them hold up a cotton swab. He showed it to his friend and they took turns sniffing it and turning it over in their hands. They moved out of my line of sight, so I calmly got up and went into the bathroom too. I found both of them standing near the toilet. They were touching it and one of them pushed the lever and flushed the toilet and they both jumped back. Then they moved towards the bathtub and to my surprise both of them climbed in. They looked at me expectantly, so I walked over and turned on the tap. Both of them seemed impressed, stretching out their long fingers to feel the water that was gushing out. I adjusted the temperature, and they made these satisfying chirps as the water warmed up. One of them gestured towards the knob that activated the shower spray. I shook my head, worried about blasting them with water. It gestured again, and in my weird calm, I decided to go for it. I turned the knob and the water poured out of the shower head onto their fish scales. They made these shrieky sounds, but it really sounded like laughter. They spent a few minutes splashing each other, then gestured to me to turn it off. Because things were already really weird, I handed them both bath towels, and I mimed drying my skin, and they understood immediately and dried themselves, chirping happily the whole time. They dropped the towels on the floor and headed back out into the bedroom. They gestured for me to climb back into bed. I did, taking another sip of water as I settled under the covers. And then I drifted off to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, that beautiful sense of calm was gone. My eyes shot open and I looked frantically around the room. Nothing seemed to miss. And for a second, I thought that it was just a strange room. Just then, my wife came out of the bathroom and she asked me why there were two wet towels on the floor. 
I told her what I had experienced that night, but she didn't believe me. She said it was just a dream. I don't know. It seems so real. This strange creature attacked Toby in Shenandoah National Park during their hike up Old Rag. He took this picture right before the attack happened. His friend Nick sent me this story to stories at dread.army. Now stick around because I'm going to analyze this photo a little later. Let's hear what he had to say. Hi Donovan, this happened last spring, but I never saw your channel until last week. I'm glad I found you so I can spread the word. I've got proof that these creatures really do exist. Enclosed is a picture my buddy snapped right before he got attacked. Now the authorities are trying to cover it up. Here's what happened. Me and Toby are both experienced hikers. We've always wanted to do the old rag mountain hike in Virginia at Shenandoah. It's like a bucket list thing. We both finally got some time off work and decided to go for it. The thing about this trail is they don't allow you to camp above 2,800 feet, and the summit is just over 3,500 feet, so we decided to backcountry camp in the Berry Hollow area. This was on a Tuesday night, and there were some cars in the parking area, but we didn't see a soul in the woods. Kind of surprising because it's a popular hike, but it was in late May while school was still in session. We found a sweet spot about a mile and a half from the parking area, and set up our tent. We didn't stay up late since we wanted an early start. I woke up in the middle of night and then I laid there for a minute trying to figure out why I woke up. I heard it then. Something was walking around the campsite. I sat up and listened but I didn't panic. I figured it was a deer close by so I laid back down. No growling or grunting. Nothing to worry about right? Toby slept right through it. It went quiet after a minute, and I fell back asleep. I told Toby about it the next morning. We both took a look around the campsite. There was an acrid smell in the air, and we figured maybe it was a buck marking its territory. That is, until we saw the prints in the dirt at the edge of the clearing. It wasn't hooves, it was feet. It was very odd shape, tracks that neither one of us have ever seen before. They were bigger than our own feet, with claws on the end but too skinny to be a bear's. There were only four toes and they were kind of spread out like a bird's foot is. We looked at it for a minute, but it was kind of smudged, so we couldn't really say for sure what it was. We didn't worry too much about it. We were psyched to begin our hike. It's just over a five mile hike to get from where we camped to the overlook. You gotta go down Weekly Hollow Fire Road for two and a half miles, then turn onto Ridge Trail. From there, it's just shy of three miles to the overlook. It's real strenuous though. Even though we were doing this midweek, we wanted to start early because it got crowded. So we walked for a ways and everything seemed perfect. Great weather, nice woodsy trail. We carried day packs with snacks and water and stopped every now and then to take a break. When we turned onto Ridge Trail, it got more difficult. There's these areas in the woods where it's not obvious which way to go. We had read in the guidebook to look for blue paint marking the way, but we didn't see any of those marks. Maybe that's only on the rocks above the tree lines. I don't know. I was starting to think we got turned around. Then I saw a break in the tree line ahead, and I knew we were on the right track. I yelled to Toby, we're getting close, and to hurry up. He yelled back for me to go ahead and he'd catch up. He had to see a man about a horse. I cracked up because that was so like him. 
but I went on ahead getting to the first ridge above the tree line. It wasn't the summit, but all of a sudden you could see for a ways, and it was amazing. Then I hear Toby scream, like not a yell, but a scream of pain. I ran back as fast as I could, yelling his name. Looking back and forth on both sides of the trail, totally panicked. I saw his blue jacket through the brush on the side of the trail, and I ran to him. He was on the ground. He was bleeding and his jacket was all ripped. He was alive though, thank God. I thought it must have been a bear, and the hair on the back of my neck was all standing up as I yelled for help. Toby opened his eyes, and I could tell he was in a lot of pain. Blood wasn't spurting out, but it was slowly seeping. I pushed away his jacket to look, and he had a huge claw mark going down from his shoulder across his pecs to the left. I yelled for help again and fished a windbreaker out of my pack, pressing it to the wound. He said something and I couldn't understand it at first. I realized he was saying, picture, phone, and then he passed out. I looked around and saw his phone and picked it up and put it in my pocket, my mind going in a million directions. I needed to get help immediately, and there's no signal up there. I didn't think I could carry him out. I started yelling for help again, like every five seconds, and thankfully I got someone's attention. A man came by, and I shouted for him to go get a ranger. My buddy's been hurt. There's a ranger stationed at the junction of Weekly Road and Ridge Trail. I checked, and the wound was seeping blood. But I didn't think Toby was in danger of bleeding out. I kept one hand on the jacket, pressing down, and fished his phone out. I needed to see the picture. I was in shock when I opened the phone, and this picture popped up. It looks like a dinosaur. This thing was in the woods here with us. I was totally freaked out looking around, hoping it wouldn't come back. I didn't have to wait long for help to arrive. I just said I didn't know what attacked him. I needed them to focus on my buddy at that point, and to be honest, I was doubting my own eyes. I wanted to look at the picture real good before I told someone about it. They got Toby to the hospital, and I looked at the picture again. Unbelievable. The proof was right there. I hit share on his phone and sent a copy to myself. I then showed the picture to the ranger, who was there to take my statement. I told him that Toby had snapped it right before he was attacked. I also mentioned that something had been at our campsite the night before. Maybe this thing had been stalking us. I handed over the phone waiting to see his face when he saw the creature. He totally shut down. No expression at all. He just said, Hmm, okay. I need to hang on this to show my supervisor. I said, What is that thing? And he just said that they would investigate. Toby's okay. The biggest concern was infection, but they took good care of him. But you know what? The authorities somehow misplaced his phone. Yeah, of course they did. The official report says my buddy was attacked by a bear. Does this look like a bear to you? It was a cover-up, plain and simple. That ranger wasn't surprised. I bet he already knew about that creature. I'm glad I have proof, and now you guys do too. Okay, now let's take a closer look at this photo. The first thing that I notice is that the overall photo is pretty blurry. That could be explained due to the camera lens being a little bit blurry. They were out in the woods after all. Does that make the photo unauthentic? Not necessarily. The second thing is, is this beast did appear to come out of nowhere. There's a small clearing towards the top of the picture that it looks like it's coming down from. 
Now there are a few areas that I think are a little suspect. Take a look at the creature's feet. They are a little odd shaped. And then let's look at this creature's mouth. If this truly is authentic, I would never want to run into this thing. Its mouth looks absolutely terrifying. You can't really tell from the way the picture was taken what its face looks like. Those are just my observations. I would love to know what you guys all think in the comments below. Back in the day, me and my friends used to think it was entertaining to go out late at night and shoot at raccoons. I'm not proud of it now, but it was just what we did back then. It was part of the culture just to blast any undesirable critter. I grew up in the South in Arkansas, and raccoons were considered really big pests. I mean, they got into everything, the garden, the trash. We even had them try to come in through this screen of our kitchen window. Nobody would judge us for going out and shooting them. I'm a lot more considerate of animals now. If I even try to tell this story to my wife, I just get shut down as a barbaric fool. So I figured I would tell you what we went up against this one night. I never really had a chance to talk about this outside of those friends who were with me. We know what we saw, but sometimes we even start to question our own eyes. It was probably around October, back in maybe 2003 or so. We were fooling around, having some drinks and whatnot, and we decided to go coon hunting. Mostly we were just bored and didn't feel like going to bed yet. It was close to midnight my parents were asleep. We started out like always down this trail behind my house. We went down this steep section full of sweet shrub towards this gully where we knew some ground burrows were. There were a lot of raccoons that lived down there. It wasn't too far from my house. There was a shallow stream down there and we would see them drinking sometimes. We crossed over the stream and started walking up the hill. There is this good spot with a lot of big stones where we could kind of hide out. We settled in and took cover and scoped out the area. I had my shotgun across my knees. My friends didn't have theirs since we really hadn't planned this. We sat there trying to keep quiet. We were a little buzzed so we kept bursting out laughing over nothing. We watched over any movement but we didn't see anything at all. It actually seemed extra quiet that night. No crickets or anything. It started to get pretty cold, and we weren't exactly dressed for the weather. After about an hour of that, we decided we should give up and head back. I had this field spotlight with a hunting lens, and I thought I would take another look before we called it a night. I turned it on, and we saw something about 20 feet away. It was on all fours with its nose on the ground. We couldn't tell if it was eating something or what. It sure wasn't any raccoon. The spotlight coming on didn't even seem to phase it at all, but it sure made it look towards us. That's when things got scary. It took a step towards us and lifted up on the two legs. It started growling this really low guttural growl. It stretched itself up and puffed out its chest. It had this really thick coat of fur around its neck. To me, it looked like it was at least six or seven feet tall, and the claws on that thing were like two inches long. It bared its teeth and it reminded me of my friend's Doberman Pinscher when it used to corner something. It even smelled like a really dirty wet dog. We were all just staring at it completely petrified. For a minute it felt like a standoff. It took another step towards us and I had my shotgun leveled. I fired a shot and hit that thing right in the side of its ribs. 
Usually hitting something that close with a 12 gauge shotgun would cause a big hole and a typical animal wouldn't walk away from it. A spray of blood burst out of that creature and it let out this loud yelp, but the shot didn't knock it down. We were shocked that it just started sprinting away and ran out of my circle of light. My friends were freaking out and yelling at me to shoot it again. I fired two more times at it, but it was so fast that it got out of my range really quick and I missed it. We got up and started following in the direction it ran. I mean, talk about fools. It's hard to believe how stupid we were when we were that young. We went for about 10 feet and found this large pool of blood. Then we went a little further and found a smaller pool of blood. We kept going and spotting footprints that we could follow. We eventually stopped and looked at each other and realized how stupid we were being. Plus, we didn't know if this thing traveled in packs or what. Who knows how many of them there could have been. The way it looked, we were thinking we had encountered a real-life werewolf. We started imagining that thing laying low for us and watching us, getting ready for its revenge. We were really scared by then and started heading mostly in the direction of my house. But every little sound would freak us out, and we would take cover wherever we could. It took us a long time to make it all the way back to my house, since we were convinced that that thing was watching us. We made it back and went to bed, and really never mentioned it to anybody. Like I said, I've tried to tell my wife, but I just start feeling like a fool. I'm hoping that somebody else hearing this will know what I'm talking about. It's so weird to have an experience like that, and know that most people will just think you're crazy. I'd like to just be honest here and tell you that I remember everything that happened that night. But the truth is, I'm still not exactly sure what happened. I'm from New Jersey and we go down the Wildwood, about an hour from me on the shore. Every summer I spend time on the beach and on the boardwalk. We usually go towards the end of the season. Just past Labor Day, there are fewer and fewer people out there and it's easier to find a spot to set up your towel. It's still sunny and pretty hot during the day, but at night, it can get kind of chilly. It's not the nicest area, but the prices are pretty cheap, and it's easy to have fun since there's so much to do. Anyways, my friends and I decided to go in together on a motel room. There were five of us and only two double beds, so it was pretty crowded in there. Somehow, I got relegated to the pull-out couch, and that thing was super uncomfortable. The hotel was kind of sleazy and smelled like smoke and mold but we were just trying to have a good time, you know? We were out hitting the beach bars and partying all day. So once we got back to the motel room, we were kind of wiped out. There wasn't much else to do, so everyone just wanted to head to bed so that we could get up early and hit the beach. We all laid down for bed like at 2 a.m. I started to hear snoring from my friends like a minute later, but I just couldn't fall asleep. I was tossing and turning for an hour when I decided I just needed to go for a walk. I put on my flip-flops and sweatshirt and headed out the door. It was pretty chilly out, and the wind was kind of brutal once in a while. There was a full moon, so the whole place had an eerie feeling to it. You can't see the stars when you're in the town, so I decided to head towards the beach so I could get a better look. I was starting to sober up, but I wasn't completely sober at that point. I still know what I saw, though. I walked out of the motel and down the road for a bit. No one was really out except for the people leaving the bars and some strange vagabonds on the road. Once I got to the boardwalk, it got a bit more lively. There were some places still open, but
but I stuck with my plan of checking out the beach at night. The thing about Wildwood is the beach is really huge, and I don't mean width-wise. It's extremely long, and when you're walking to the water on a hot summer day, your feet will start to burn on the sand. Even during high tide, the walk can be almost 10 minutes if you're carrying all of your beach gear, shovels, and umbrellas. But while I was walking at night, it felt like it was super quick. No one else was out at that point. So when I got to the water's edge, I was surprised to see a figure in the waves. The moon was shining down on the waves as they broke. The white caps would sparkle. About 30 feet away in the water, I could see the outline of a person. It was kind of a vague form, and there wasn't much light to go by. I pulled out my phone and turned on my flashlight. As I called over to them to make sure they were okay. They were standing in the water, but it didn't make sense because the water would be super deep and it didn't even seem like they were struggling. The waves pulled back for a moment and I realized that the person wasn't a person at all. The figure was really the tentacle of a squid or something. I don't know. I've never been a believer in sea monsters or anything like that, but it raised another tentacle out of the water and I could see the suckers on the arm. It started to slide towards me on the shore, so I took a step back on the beach. The thing rose a bit out of the water, and I could see a big hump that I think was its head or its body. Then it ducked back down into the waves, and all that was left was a splash. I really don't know what that thing was. I tried to tell my friends, and they just thought I was crazy. They just don't get it. I know what I saw, and it was huge. Ever since, I've been too scared to go back in the ocean. And honestly, even pools get me a little nervous. If anyone has seen anything similar, I'd love to hear about it. Thanks for listening, and stay safe out there.